some pretty hard days that our nation is going through right now. And I just pray that we can be an encouragement to others who are going through difficult times. And, uh, you know, individually, we can be going through hardships. And I still, I believe that through worship comes healing. I, I had said that I was looking at a Pew Research report today about church attendance and such. And in looking at that, I saw that they said of churches that they're kind of back to normal, but the attendance in churches has pretty much maintained over the last year, meaning that the church is functioning as it did before the pandemic, but not all of the people have returned to come and to worship. And I, I honestly, I, I think it's to our hurt because, come back to that phrase, through worship comes healing. And uh, we need to people be a people who worship the Lord. Well, here in the book of Exodus, we find ourselves tonight in Exodus 33 and 34. And we've just last week learned about the golden calf. And here we come into the aftermath of that. And we learn a couple of significant things that in chapter 33, the importance of staying near. And this has to do with Joshua and also Moses. But mainly I pulled that title from Joshua and his response in his own life as a young man and how he uh, approached the Lord. And also that we are too in chapter 34. And this has to do with Moses, but for us as well to reflect the glory of God in our lives. So first of all, looking at Exodus 33, I titled this chapter, Staying Near. And I didn't put a, a key verse in my notes. I usually do, but I did not get to that. But I know what that key verse is. And just take me a moment to find it. Uh, Exodus 33, verse 11. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. And so I chose for Exodus 33, verse 11, even though it's not in my notes, as a key verse and really pinpointing Joshua not departing from the tabernacle, taking from that the title of this chapter, Staying Near. We begin in verse Verses 1 through 6, we discover that Israel, God calls them for a second time now, a stiff-necked people. In verses 1 through 3, we read, Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, and to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants I will give it. I will send my angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite and the Parasite and the Hivite and the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey for I will not go up in your midst lest I consume you on the way for you are a stiff-necked people. So this is just following the rebellion of the golden calf where they had made and took their earrings and their 
jewelry and Aaron took them, melted them down, and then, according to Aaron's word, out came this golden calf. But they had, in the 40 days of Moses' absence, when he was up on Mount Sinai receiving from the Lord the Ten Commandments and some of the uh, laws, other laws of God and also the instructions on how they should build the tabernacle of God, they rebelled against the Lord, and now punishment was coming. God commanded Moses, along with Israel, to depart, to go to the land flowing with milk and honey. Yet because of their rebellion, God said, I will not go up in the midst of you, but I will send my angel before you. God would no longer dwell with them, as he said here, because you are a stiff-necked people. It's actually two Hebrew words that form the stiff-necked people that it refers to stubbornness and that neck part refers to the back of the neck. And so it gives that idea of an, a yoke of oxen, an ox or even a horse <laughs> thinking of uh, our neighbors just south of the church having two horses that often like to come and visit the churchyard. And uh, I had learned through the years that I would just walk over to one of the horses. Usually if I would lead one of the horses, the other would follow and I could bring him back to the property. Usually it was some delivery person just leaving the gate open when they came and not realizing that there were two horses out there. It could have been dangerous for the cars driving by, but I'd learned that, you know, I'm not going to push a horse around, but I could take my uh, belt. I, unlike a lot of the kids today, I always wear a belt. comes in handy when you want to lead a horse. Take the belt off, put it through uh, its bridle, and just lead them back over. But uh, there was one day where the horse was not going to move, and so I did not bring him home. Because he decided that, nope, I like the grass over here at Calvary Chapel better than in our field. And he was stubborn about it. He was not going to move. And what am I going to do against a large animal like that? So the stiff neck also, uh, I, I read from commentary some 14 to 18 times. They said that it appears in the Bible. Uh, the actual wording of stiff necked doesn't appear that many times, but the Hebrew words that it comes from, and also we have Greek words that they come from as well. We do find it in Acts 7.51 when Stephen is talking about the Israelis of his day saying, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised of heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. And then Hebrews 3.8, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. That's not technically stiff-necked, but it's talking about the hardness of their hearts as in the day of trial in the wilderness. And that was the condition of the people. They had hard hearts toward the Lord. They became a stiff-necked people. They did not want to do what the Lord had called them to do, even though they pledged to the Lord that they would do all that he commanded. So he said, I'm going to send my angel. Uh, that first was introduced to us in Exodus 23, 23. For my angel will go before you and bring you in 
to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and Jebusites, and I will cut them off. So my angel, it's already been introduced to us 10 chapters ago, and he repeats it again here and will repeat it again um, in uh, did repeat it again in chapter 32, verse 34, and now repeats it again here in our text that in verse 2, that I'll send my angel before you. And God pledged to send his angel before them to make them victorious over their enemies. Some believe that perhaps this is referring to an angelic being like Michael. And we read a lot about Michael in Daniel 10:13, Michael, one of the chief princes, Daniel 10:21, no one upholds me against you. This is Gabriel speaking. So the angel Gabriel talking to Daniel saying, no one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. Now he's not saying to Daniel individually, but the nation of Israel, that Michael is the prince the angelic prince over Israel. Uh, Daniel 12.1, at that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And we even know that Michael was around during the wilderness wanderings because Jude 9 tells us, yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against Satan a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So according to the New Testament, Jude 9, Michael was there. He contended at the end of the 40 years for the body of Moses. But personally, I believe that this is Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 4, that all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Paul lets us know that while Jude says that Michael was there in the wilderness contending against Satan, Paul lets us know that Jesus was there in the wilderness providing for the children of Israel. So verses 4 through 6, And when the people heard this bad news, they mourned. No one put on his ornaments. And the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. Uses that phrase again. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now therefore take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. And the children of Israel stripped themselves of their jewelry there by Mount Horeb. So after Moses told the people, that God would no longer go up with them, that he was going to send his angel before them. Hearing this news, they mourned, they stripped themselves of the jewelry that they had on, and this was at the command of God that they would kind of uh, take the pride out. I was thinking about the ornaments, the jewelry. Uh, We were reminded by a social media post that we're 10 days away from our granddaughter getting married this morning and uh, you know I'm going to put a nice suit on that day I probably won't wear my casual watch I'll wear a nicer watch than that and um, I already got my hair cut for it so we're getting ready for the occasion 
but you put on nice clothing with a sense of pride, but there is no pride in disobeying God. There was the stripping away. Strip off your ornaments. Strip off your jewelry. With their jewelry, they had actually used some of that jewelry to, in their disobedience to the Lord. So there's no pride in disobeying God. Some people are proud to disobey God, but ultimately it will not pay for them. In Proverbs 16:5, it says, Everyone proud in the heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. They will one day get their due. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Verse 19, better to be of a humble spirit with the, the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. So their sins had separated themselves from God who had redeemed them from the bondage of Egypt. And so God now, we will learn, will uh, set up outside of the camp. The tent of meeting would be outside of the camp. God said, I'll no longer be in your midst. Their sins had separated them from God. Isaiah 59:2. but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins has hidden your, his face from you that he will not hear. So God is still going to do a work. And we find that Israel had a great intercessor in Moses. In verses 7 Uh, Verse 7, Moses took his tent. He pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting that was outside the camp. So while the tabernacle would be being constructed and God would have the regulations of where the tabernacle, where ultimately the temple would be in the nation of Israel. But while that was being prepared, and they haven't even had a chance to start that yet, Moses pitched his tent far out from the camp, called it the tabernacle of meeting. And not only did he go and meet with the Lord there, but anyone who wanted to meet with the Lord would go out to the tent. The nation had joined together in disobedience against the Lord. But within the nation, there were individuals who would take the long journey outside of the camp to spend time with the Lord. We live in a nation where I I believe that it could also be said that the majority of the nation, they've joined together in disobedience against the Lord. But within the nation, there are still individuals who desire to seek the Lord. The Lord said in Isaiah 55, 6 and 7, Seek me, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So seek the Lord while he may be found. When Moses went out to the tent and the people arose, the Bible tells us, as we pick up just summarizing verses 8 through 11, Moses would go out to the tent of meeting, the tabernacle of meeting. Each man then would stand at his tent door until Moses entered the tent. And once inside, the uh, pillar of cloud would descend and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And there Moses talked with God. 
And the Lord talked with Moses. And when it happened that each man there went in his tent that he worshipped. And the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. So this is really a, a glorious scene as people. It, it reminded me, though, of the camp of Israel, though they stood at their tent door while Moses went in, saw the Shekinah glory cloud, cloud come down. And when Moses met with the Lord, they still had great distance between themselves and the Lord. Those who wanted to draw near to God had to go outside the camp. And there are many in our world today that they believe in God, but they still have a great distance between themselves and the God that they say that they believe in. But Moses, able to be with the Lord, not literally face to face in the sense we'll learn in the next chapter, that even in this chapter at the end of it, that Moses technically could not see the face of God. He would only get to see in Exodus 34 the back or the afterglow of God as he would pass him by. But this is really expressing a sense of the intimacy that Moses had with the Lord as if he was face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Now, you've got to understand that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. So when I read Deuteronomy 34.10, where he says, Since then there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses. He was kind of writing that about himself. But it was true. Whom the Lord knew face to face. But Deuteronomy 5.4, again it says, The Lord talks with you face to face, on the mountain, from the midst of the fire. Moses reminds the second generation that came out of Egypt as they were preparing to enter into the promised land. The first generation, they died in the wilderness, but their children would enter into the promised land. And God reminded many of those children, those who are 20 years old and under, who had seen the Lord there at Mount Sinai when he descended upon the mountain, Moses said, the Lord talked to you face to face. Now, they didn't literally see the face of God, but it speaks about the intimacy that even the children of Israel had with God. However, at this point, their sins, their iniquities had separated them from God. He had hid his face from them. And although the people, they did not desire to draw near to God, they respected Moses and they worship God from afar while Moses talked with the Lord face to face. It's always a dangerous thing to worship God from afar. Before you know it, you'll not be worshiping God at all. But Joshua, in the second half of Exodus 33:11, his servant Joshua, while Moses would return back to camp, Moses went out, verse 11, spoke, the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, but he returned to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Joshua's name meant Jehovah is salvation. And he had already proven himself in Exodus 17 as being a great warrior for Israel. 
And in Exodus 24, he was an assistant to Moses. And when Moses went up on the Mount Sinai to meet with the Lord and fasted 40 days and 40 nights, Joshua was the only one that went partway up that mountain with him and was commanded to wait. And he waited while Israel was in rebellion, making the golden calf down in the camp. Joshua was halfway up that mountain thinking that there was war in the camp. He didn't know what was going on, but he was near. Joshua in Numbers eleven twenty-eight, he's called one of Moses' choice men. Numbers 13 and 14, Joshua and Caleb stood alone when the 12 tribes 12 spies, I don't know why I was trying to say, trying to mix up tribes and spies. It doesn't work. The 12 spies went into the promised land. Only Joshua and Caleb stood against all the people and said, let's go up. If the Lord's given us the land, let's go up into the land. And in Numbers 27, 19, Moses would lay hands on Joshua, inaugurate him as the next leader in Israel, in Deuteronomy 34, 9, it says, Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. As a young man, Joshua had courage and strength of sword. He stayed near to the Lord and to the Lord's prophet. He dwelt at the tent of the Lord. He was always hanging out at the church. Um, in the Calvary Chapel movement and beyond the Calvary Chapel movement, the evangelist Greg Laurie was, uh, is pretty well known today. Even with the tragedy that took place in Texas, uh, one of the news anchors on Fox News like last night had a special segment with Greg Laurie to talk about these events. So a national religious leader. But as I was reading this, that Joshua dwelt at the tent of the Lord, if you know anything about Greg Laurie, when he was 17 years old, he used to hang out in the church office at Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa. He just wanted to be used, and he pretty much got the jobs that nobody else wanted to do. Let Greg do it. And sometimes Greg was foolish enough to go out and do it. In fact, Greg, when nobody else wanted to go to Riverside to teach a Bible study there, Greg said, I'll go. And to this day... There's a church planted in Riverside because of his faithfulness. Why? Because he stayed near. Stayed near to the Lord by being near in the church. Even after Joshua spent 40 years honing his leadership skills under the leadership of Moses, when it was his turn to lead the nation, he had to be encouraged and the book of Joshua, chapter 1, four times he had to be told, be strong and courageous. Through the life of Joshua, we see that discipline sometimes takes time. And it's important to stay near to the Lord and to God's chosen leaders. We must be filled with the Spirit of God and we must find our strength and our courage from the Lord. So that one little verse speaks so much to me when I think about the life of Joshua. Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. 
No wonder God did so much with this man's life. Verses 12 through 23, we find Moses requests three things of God. So his first request, show me your way and consider this nation. They could have been two separate requests, I guess. But God responds with one answer. So I grouped these two together. Show me your way. Consider this nation, verses 12 through 14. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. So in their friend-to-friend, their face-to-face conversation, Moses sought to know the Lord. He said, Lord, you've told me you know me by name. You let me know that I'm a friend of yours, and yet you haven't told me who's going to lead us, who's going to go up. My angel, that's all you've told me. My angel, you're going to send before you. So God responds. Well, no, he's still asking here. Now, therefore, I pray if I have found grace in your sight, show me your way that I might know you and that I might find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. So show me your way and consider this nation. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. God's presence. He said, I will be with you. It's interesting that Moses already knew that he had found grace in the eyes of the Lord, but he desired to know God more. He said, God, show me your way that I might find grace in your sight. And he has grace. So basically Moses is saying, Lord, I want more of your grace. Psalm 25, 4 and 5 says, Show me your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are my, the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. So secondly, his second request, go with us. 15 through 17, Moses speaking, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. For a second time, God reminds Moses, I know you by name. And then again, you have found grace in my sight. If we began this question and answer uh, period with Moses saying, since I have found grace in your sight, help me to know you more that I will find grace in your sight, that I'll know that I have grace. And here God says again, you have found grace in my sight. I know your name. First Kings 8.53 Talking about the separated people. Your people and I are separated from all the people who are on the face of the earth. And King Solomon in 1 Kings 8.53 saying, For you separated them from among all the peoples of the earth to be your inheritance. As you spoke by your servant Moses, 
when you brought our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. So Moses also understood that it was the presence of the Lord that had separated Israel from all the other nations of the earth. The presence of the Lord, it makes a difference in our lives as well. Psalm 4.3 says, But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. So God knows all those who worship him. He knows them by name. Now, 1 Corinthians 8.3 says, If anyone loves God, this one is known by him. And John 10.3, Jesus saying that he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. To this day, Jesus knows us by name and his grace is upon us. So the third request, show me your glory. This is a big request. And he said, please show me your glory, verse 18. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion upon whom I will have compassion. And he said, you cannot see my face, so no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here's the place by me, and you shall stand in the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand while I pass by, and I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So again, not literally when it says Moses spoke to the Lord face to face, because here we learn that anyone looks on the face of God, he does not live, and God took special precautions with Moses, hid him in the cleft of the rock, covered his eyes as he passed by. I can't even envision how this would happen, but as God went by, he let his hand fall away that Moses could see the afterglow of the presence of God. A good way to state that. But Moses, already knowing that he had found grace in the Lord, and the Lord telling Moses, you have found grace in me. I know you by name. He says, please show me your glory. Moses desired more. And I think that's how worship should be. That hunger that we have where we just keep desiring more from the Lord. And the Lord can do wonderful things with us and through us, and yet uh, we desire more to be near to the Lord. So in chapter 33, Moses desires to deepen his relationship with God. We also learned of Joshua, a young man who loved to stay near to God. And the interesting thing about Joshua abiding at the tabernacle of meeting he could not enter in. It only tells us that he stayed outside the door. He could not enter in. The tabernacle of meeting, only Moses, Aaron, his sons could do that as priests over Israel. Yet it was sufficient for Joshua to stay near, near to the Lord, near to the tabernacle of meeting, near to the Lord's leader. And no wonder God would use him so much in the nation of Israel during his lifetime. And may I encourage you to make a commitment to be more like a Joshua by 
committing to stay near to Jesus. And we do this by, by being in his word, by studying the word of God. We do this by praying, asking the Lord to be with us and lifting up our voices in prayer toward God. We do this by being at the church, hanging out when the church doors are open, staying near to those spiritual leaders. And today, by uh, the devices that we carry with us, uh, we can even bring spiritual leaders with us. We can listen to godly men and women who teach the word of God to us. If we do this, I think we would also be seen as faithful servants and perhaps even becoming great warriors of faith. I saw this in my parents. And I want it to be in my own generation to be a person who stays near and now, being a little bit older than I used to be, wanting to help that next generation to learn to stay near. That we could walk with the Lord, find the grace of God, knowing that he knows our names. But one last thing, unlike Joshua, we don't have to hang around outside the tent of meeting. According to the word of God, we can now come boldly to the throne of grace. In Hebrews 4.16, it says, Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Well, I'm going to hold it off right there for the night. And in two weeks, Lord willing, we'll pick up in Exodus chapter 34. Next Wednesday, Carl Spark Ball, a good friend of this fellowship. But Spark was also, and he goes by the nickname Spark. Um, he was the executive director of Love in the Name of Christ here in Lake County. I think for well over 15 or 16 years, he's currently working with a church planting group. Uh, the base is out of Texas, and uh, he's kind of a financial guy, so he helps the new churches set up all their organizational stuff and their finances and helps them get off the ground, and they are planting churches. It's wonderful to see. And uh, he's been praying about, he talked to me a couple of days ago about looking at, in fact, I'll read you my response back to him since I have my handy device here. Um, Spark said to me, I was thinking about teaching from Matthew 28. And so... I responded back to him that, are you talking about the resurrection, the Great Commission, or leaving, living the resurrection life? And he said, yeah, all three of those things. <laughs> Matthew 28 is not a big chapter. It has 20 verses in it. And in that chapter, we have the Lord's resurrection, um, the Great Commission, but also we can talk about living the resurrection life. And so that's where Spark is planning next Wednesday as Lily and I will be uh, coming back at this time, coming back from the airport, picking up our children, flying in for the wedding. And so we're looking forward to that.
So let's go ahead and stand together and we will ask God to bless our evening. Father, once again, I just want to lift up this nation, Lord, who there are so many hurting in this nation, Lord, so much happening in our world. It's hard to really understand sometimes all the things that are coming so quickly, much like Job, back-to-back calamities, tragedies coming upon our nation and then individuals within the nations. Lord, I'm sure we've all had similar thoughts of parents who had said goodbye to their children yesterday in the morning and maybe planning what their evening would look like, the sports they would go to or the after-school activities or even just coming home for dinner or a special meal out. And many of these parents, Lord, not being able to do that. And then brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and grandparents and friends and family members and the whole community. Lord, our nation is hurting. It's hurting whether we're talking about families over in Buffalo, New York, or Laguna Woods in California, or there in Texas. Father, help us to learn that through worship comes healing. And also tonight, Lord, learning from Exodus 33, the importance of staying near. Help us to be like Joshua, who just desired to stay near, even though he couldn't enter into the tabernacle of meeting properly. He had to stay outside. He was near to your presence, Lord. And then also Moses, Lord, who repeated that since I have found grace in your sight, show me your glory that I would know that I found grace in your sight. He, he just wanted more from you, Lord. He sought more. Help us, Lord, to have that kind of hunger, to experience your glory, to know your presence, to realize that you know us by name, that we have received your grace and mercy through faith in Jesus Christ, but, Lord, that we would know you more. Let that be our prayer this evening. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.